Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender. And today we are doing the case of Lisa Marie Montgomery. The name right now is not drawing any, like, I guess reminders in my brain but sloan assures me that once i start hearing details it'll all click into place so we shall see this is also our anniversary episode we've been doing the damn thing for a year now and it's crazy a thing because (laughs) i feel like we just started i feel like we've only been doing this for about six months yeah (laughs) And we still have a lot of improvement to go. I know, guys. We're, But we're still getting better week by week, I think. And thank you for hanging out with us over the past year. We truly appreciate it. And for those of you that have been here for the whole year, y'all are the real MVPs. Yes. It's been a rough ride at the, from the <laughs> beginning. It, it's been uh, something. <laughs> but we live and we learn. And this has been a very exciting experience for us it's not exciting to come in here and talk about traumatic events but the community that we're building the the cocktails that we're crafting yes that part's fun for us so thank you for being a part of it and helping our dreams come true yes and i guess with that being said we'll kick you off to our drink and then our episode Welcome to another anniversary episode special (laughs) cocktail for us. And this is going to be, I guess you can say it's one of our go-to pre-mix cocktails. As of late, like ever since we kind of discovered them. So my work has the on the rocks like little christmas gift set where it comes with four different um of their like drinks and one of them's the cosmo so it wasn't like a new one but the other three were ones that we haven't tried and so the very first one we decided to try out of it because we were we were a little intimidated by it but also we were like out of like the three besides the espresso martini one we were like it's probably gonna be the one we would enjoy more (laughs) but it is the aviation is what it's called and it's a gin drink which is why we are kind of skeptical of it because we are both uh still learning to love gin i guess you could say (laughs) i don't think i'll ever learn to love gin it's fine. I've, I've, I've grown to appreciate it. Like, I can understand, like, it's the drink you go to if you don't want something that's so sweet. But I think it, it's one that's really easy to pull out flavors with, I guess you could say. But their aviation is made with 
Larosos? Larios? Larios? I don't know. Larios? I'm so sorry. We don't drink gin, obviously. So the gin spelled L-A-R-I-O-S. And it is a dry and aromatic aviation created with this gin. It is 40 proof, 20% alcohol by volume. And basically, as far as like an aviation goes, it's an old like cocktail that was made back in like, let's see what it said. 1916 is like kind of the original like date for when this drink was kind of created. So it's been quite a while. And basically to make an aviation, you use gin, a maraschino liqueur, cream de violet, and lemon juice. And the ideal way is basically to serve it like straight up chilled in the reels you'll see that we just poured it over ice because i mean hello the company's called on the rocks <laughs> <laughs> so we did not do it the traditional way but i was really shocked i really thought this was gonna be a very like dry like drink that I was not gonna like but it was actually really really good i was concerned because um where we work if you know you don't know uh where I work, she used to work, but we have a blueberry lavender drink and I cannot stand it. Like I hate the lavender syrup. So with the cream de violet, I assumed that I would not like it as well because of the florally notes, but it was, I liked it yeah. and I was very shocked that I liked it, but it was good. So this drink like obviously is because it's gin and it's a dry gin that they use it's obviously going to be a little dry on the palate but like those floral notes and that cherry like really come through um so i'm looking up on wikipedia wikipedia if i can speak the like kind of the recipe for this and it basically says like an ounce and a half of gin three-fourths of an ounce of lemon juice, two dashes of your maraschino liqueur, and two dashes of your cream de violet. Now, cream de violet apparently is one that is not easy to find. And there's people that kind of created substitutes for it. You would have to kind of look it up, what they would suggest. But I know that... As of late, I've seen Cream de Violet more in stores, so I think it is slowly making a comeback. But if this is one that, like, maybe you can't find the On the Rocks, like, premix of, and you want to try it out yourself, that is the recipe that it says. I know if you look up, like, if you Google it, there's people that have, like, their variations. Feel free to try them out, see if you like them, all that. But, um... Let us know what you think. Let us know if you try out this on the rocks like cocktail. But I was really impressed by it. It was kind of a shock to find a gin drink that I actually could sit and 
enjoy and not have to add anything to, I guess you could say. So, I guess with that all being said, we will kick you off to our episode. On December 16, 2004, Becky Harper called 911 at 3.30 p.m. Becky told the operator that her daughter, 24-year-old Bobby Joe Steinett, was eight months pregnant, laying in the middle of her floor, and she said it looks like her stomach had exploded. Becky was the one to find her own daughter lying in a pool of blood about an hour after the murder. Paramedics raced to the scene where they found Bobby Joe dead. She had a jagged gash across her abdomen that exposed some of her internal organs, and her unborn baby had been cut from her womb and was missing. An Amber Alert was put out quickly for the baby. There was a small hiccup when the Amber Alert was requested because it was originally denied due to it had never been used before in an unborn child's case. Which, whenever you first think about it, you're like, that's dumb. It's for children. You should put it out. But But also, like... What description do you give for a child that you've never seen? You've never seen this child. Amber Alert. Looking for infant who is possibly bloody and screaming. Hopefully has two eyes, nose, and mouth. Right. (laughs) Like, I understand why it's, like, hesitant that you're, like, what do I say? Because it's not like anybody was there to see what this child looked like. They can't say, has hair. Does not have hair. Can't even say two arms and two legs. Ten yeah. fingers, ten toes. Like, yeah. So I get it, but also it's concerning. So yeah. thankfully, Congressman Sam Graves was able to intervene and the alert was finally sent out. The FBI and Highway Patrol joined local law enforcement on the case. And detectives canvassed the neighborhood looking for any answers or tips. They found one witness who reported seeing a dirty red subcompact car parked near the Steinette's home that they had never seen before. Police also interviewed the victim's husband, Zeb Steinett, who was absolutely distraught at the news. Zeb claimed that he left home at 7 a.m. for work at a manufacturing plant, and thankfully his alibi checked out and he was cleared as a suspect, and the police moved on. Investigators then learned that the Steinettes bred and raised rat terriers for a living, too. They also found out that Becky had been on the phone with her daughter at 2.30 p.m. the day of the murder, so, like, with that information, we know that she was murdered between 2.30 and 3.30. Yeah. She was found at 3.30. At the time, Bobby Joe was with a potential client looking at buying a puppy. There were emails that verified this visit with a woman who lived in Fairfax, Missouri, about 20 miles away. So, a forensic search of the Steinetz computer was carried out by Curtis Howard, a retired detective of the Electronics Crimes Unit. He found that the woman inquiring about the dogs called herself Darlene Fisher. At the same time, autopsy reports revealed that Bobby Joe had been strangled, but the cause of death was exsanguination. The killer thought that she had strangled Bobby Joe to death, but Bobby Joe had actually died from bleeding out from the C-section. Yeah, I was like, it can be strangled, but there's usually another um, like factor. It was in a Lifetime movie, okay? <laughs> it was probably this Lifetime movie. No, it's called, it was an Amish one. <laughs> All right, well, back to Bobby Joe. So, blood was found between the victim's toes, indicating that Bobby Joe had stood at one point during the attack. But to me, this is questionable because, like, 
could it have been the murderer holding the baby over her feet? And you like they said that this was a very messy C-section, so there's clearly blood everywhere. Yeah. So to me, it's a lot more likely that like she was standing over her feet holding the baby. The killer was holding. Yeah. 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 That makes more sense to me. I don't think that she would have stood in that scenario, but your body and mind do incredible things when adrenaline is rushing. Yes. And for a mama about to give birth, I'm sure the adrenaline was pumping. Yeah. Investigators believed Bobby Joe was unconscious after being choked, but came to when the knife was plunged into her abdomen. How horrific is that? Yeah. Like, yes. So the next day, a woman in Texas called in with a tip regarding another woman named Lisa Montgomery, who she had met at a dog show. Lisa, like Bobby Joe, raised rat terriers, but that's not why the tipster was calling. Instead, they called to say that Lisa had given birth the same day that Bobby Joe was murdered. She found that a little suspicious. So backtrack a little bit. Bobby Joe met Lisa Marie Montgomery. Why does every white girl have to have the middle name Marie? <laughs> Speaking as one. But Bobby Joe and Lisa Marie met through dog show events. Their acquaintanceship continued in an online rat terrier chat room called Ratter Chatter. <laughs> Ratter Chatter. <laughs> Ratter Chatter. Yeah, that was the chat room. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Lisa Marie told Bobby Joe that she also was pregnant, which deepened the two's friendship, if you will. While police are at the murder scene at around 5.15 p.m., Lisa Marie called her husband Kevin to say that while she was on a shopping trip to Topeka, she had gone into labor and given birth. What a miracle! Officials searched for Lisa Montgomery and found that she lived in Melbourne, Kansas, which is 170 miles away from Skidmore, Missouri, where Bobby Joe lived. Detectives went out to interview her. At the same time, the forensic analysis of the Steinet computer revealed that Darlene Fisher's emails came from the computer registered to Kevin Montgomery, Lisa Marie's husband. Interesting. FBI agents surveilled Montgomery home where a dirty small red car was parked. Oh. <laughs> the vehicle matched the description of the car seen near the crime scene a day earlier. And around 1 p.m., Lisa and Kevin Montgomery were observed by authorities arriving home with a baby. You don't say. Mm -hmm. So Skidmore detectives arrived on the scene a short time later. And as the police approached the home, they didn't have any idea of what they were walking into, who they were dealing with. This could have been a stolen baby, or this really could have been a yeah. like actual. So Detective Strong knocked on the door, and when Kevin opens the door, the detective told him that they were investigating an Amber Alert and checking out all recent births. Inside the home, officials saw Lisa Montgomery seated on a couch watching TV and holding a baby. Detectives saw that the baby was breathing and took care not to alarm Lisa in any way that might cause her to harm the baby. Lisa said that she'd given birth the day before at a birthing center in Topeka, Kansas, but she didn't have any discharge papers, or any other papers for that matter. Like, no birth, birth yeah, certificate, that's... no... Yeah. 
her husband didn't have to sign the birth certificate. Right. Like that, that's red flag. It gets worse. Investigators discreetly called the, the birthing center and discovered that there had been no births there on December 16th. Detectives asked Lisa if an agent could hold the baby while they talked a little bit more. Shockingly, Lisa says sure and hands the baby right over. So a little side story, like I tend to do. A witness later reported that on the morning of Lisa's arrest, she saw Lisa Marie and her family, which included the husband, two teenage boys, and at this point, an hours old baby. Like, this baby's not even a day old. Yeah. So, number one, I'm shocked AF that this woman has taken a newborn baby out in public. Like, the baby's not even 24 hours old. I, I can't say anything because my mom had to do the same thing with me. Um, <laughs> if you don't know, my okay. birthday is December 21st. So my mom went into the hospital because she was basically in labor with me. But like her water hadn't broken and whatnot. And so like her doctor came up to her and was like, oh... I have to go out of town for Christmas. And mom was like, no, you're getting this baby out of me first. So, like, they went through the whole steps of, like, basically breaking my mom's water and all that. And then she had me. She already, at this point, she, I was her fifth kid. She knew what she needed to do to get out. This was before they basically said, no, you have to spend the night, like, in the hospital. (laughs) And she got out. They swung by the house to show me off to the siblings and then i went straight out to like christmas shopping and that 1980s 88 2004 <laughs> i mean yeah but yeah 2004 i survived i was fine <laughs> i'm not saying that i'm just saying do would you expect to see a 16 hour old baby at the restaurant I mean, I'm no, Mexican. but also I'm sitting there going, I mean, I turned out fine. <laughs> I mean, it's debatable, but <laughs> I survived. Let's put it that way. So then, <laughs> moving on, because I'm, I'm not arguing this point. <laughs> then it sickens me that as a mother, she was able to kill another mother. It's one. I mean, yeah, there's that. My mom didn't kill anybody. <laughs> It's one disturbing thing for a woman to, like, do this to another woman. But you've given birth. She's actually had four kids at this point. So she's given birth four times. And you want to take that away from someone else. A first-time mother. Yeah. Third, I've never given birth. But I imagine the last thing that I would want to do the morning after doing the damn thing is go out for family brunch or go Christmas shopping, even for me. But, a. Trisha's mama is superwoman. Mom, mom's a different breed. <laughs> she has many uh, strange birthing stories. Like by the time she had me, like she was basically like, "All right, I know the drill. Let's go." <laughs> TMI, but sometimes I have a difficult bowel movement, and then I'm on the couch, <laughs> and then I'm on the couch for the next four hours. So no, I would not want to be out in public after giving birth. I can guarantee. <laughs> I can guarantee uh... you. Anyways, 
Once separated from her husband, Lisa told officials she had actually given birth at home with the help of three friends. When the police ask for the friends' names, Lisa changes her story again. The friends were with say, her. You got three friends that like. I mean, I got you and Logan. But you, but like, you got three friends that are gonna be there and birth the kid, but not hang out until the husband gets home mm-hmm. and like pass you off. No. But also, like, if you're bringing friends in, you got three friends that are gonna be able to corroborate your story and like know each detail like that they need to get like i don't even think this woman has three friends (laughs) i mean that's possible too i don't even say it i was like you would even if i had you and logan to corroborate something a detail would be like missed by one of you me (laughs) let me be like i saw a squirrel (laughs) (laughs) they gave me something bright and shiny (laughs) and it was game over i'm sorry i'm sorry they told me i could have the ball if i told them what happened (laughs) so now lisa is saying that the friends weren't actually with her they were just on the phone with her like walking her through this oh my god which once again she has had four kids so maybe she is like your mom at this point and this is the fifth kid just sliding on out. <laughs> Maybe that happened. I don't know. I don't, like I said, I've never given birth. Don't want to. Not for me. Yep. Not, not my cup of tea. <clears throat> and so as these investigators start to peel away the layers, they're boxing Lisa into her corner. She's losing ground. She knows that they're on to her. And eventually, Lisa Marie breaks down. She admits that the baby was Bobby Joe Steinetz, which DNA confirmed, and the baby was given back to her birth father. Investigators quickly determined that her husband was completely unaware of his wife's criminal actions. She had convinced him that she was going to have a baby, but tragically, that baby was not theirs. Inside of Lisa's car, they found a note with Bobby Joe's address on it, a bloody knife, and a rope knotted with hair. So, like, you really just kind of keep shooting yourself. Right? Boom. Boom. A search of the home computer revealed that Lisa had tracked Bobby Joe's pregnancy through pictures, researched C-sections, and arranged the meeting on December 16th with an alias. The evidence was overwhelming that this was a premeditated, cold-blooded murder. Yeah. So, once again, let's backtrack a little bit. Who is Lisa Montgomery? Lisa was raised in a very physically, emotionally, and even sexually abusive home where she was allegedly raped by her stepfather and his friends. And when they were done raping her, they would pee on her. Golden shower and all. Ugh. Yeah. She was also beaten from the age of 11 up. And Lisa followed in her mother's footsteps around that age and started drinking alcohol to try to escape the pain. According to her mother, Lisa's very first words were, don't spank me, it hurts. That hurts my heart. Yeah. That those are the first words she spoke. When Lisa's mom found out about the sexual abuse, Lisa was 14 at the time, her mom began threatening her daughter with a gun. Not her husband, the abuser, but Lisa, the daughter, the abused, was threatened with the gun. Ugh. Her mother also forced Lisa to pay the bills, quote-unquote, by prostituting her to prepare man 
repairmen that worked on their house. Lisa tried to escape her home life at 18 years old when she married for the first time to her stepbrother. So I'm sh- yeah. This is like a Jerry Springer episode. Basically. Unfortunately, her first two marriages were abusive as well. I couldn't really find any information to clarify whether Kevin Montgomery was the second husband or like a third or fourth husband. So I don't know if he was one of the abusers. Yeah. I could not really find any concrete information. So we're just going to assume that hopefully Kevin was a good guy. Hopefully. But her stepbrother, first husband, would rape and abuse her consistently, sometimes with bottles and sometimes on video. Lisa had four children before she had her tubes tied in 1990. Yes, you heard that right. She had her tubes tied. And her first two spouses say that she would falsely claim to be pregnant several times over the years. So this is kind of a consistent behavior pattern for her. So this is like, I'm trying to think what they end up, but it's like the hysterical pregnancies, I guess is what it is. We're about to get to that. Yes, we're about to get to that. So, Lisa Montgomery was officially charged with first-degree murder and faced the death penalty. Her trial began on October 2nd, 2007, so like three years after she, two and a half years after she was arrested. In some of my research, I found that the defense claimed that Lisa had suffered abuse as a child and did not understand her actions. That this was all caused by her mother's alcohol addiction, which led to Lisa being born with permanent brain damage. They also addressed the childhood abuse by her stepfather and his friends. They argued that her untreated trauma she experienced as a child exacerbated her genetic disposition to to severe mental illness, leading her to kill Bobby Joe during a psychotic episode as she was in a dissociative state similar to sleepwalking. So... In the all of the like articles that came out around the time of the trial, that was the information that I found. But then I found a Rolling Stones article from her second attorney that worked on all of the appeals. And I have like some good quotes at the very end of all of this from that article that I'm going to go through. But her second attorney says that like none of the abuse was actually brought up in the original trial and when it was it was kind of addressed as it was her fault and she wasn't a victim like she for instance like she wanted to have right she wanted to have the sexual intercourse with men when she was 11 years old that sort of stuff so like when it when that abuse was presented in the first trial it wasn't really presented as abuse yeah it sounds about right like not trying to be on her side but also like I will say that I very much remember this story happening when it happened in 2004 and I was very anti-Lisa Marie I have been as ever since this happened today was the first time that I actually like felt sympathy for this woman like yeah like she did a terrible thing, but also, like, you're looking at this, like, background in that. You can't help but feel like, you know, 
she was let down as much as like as Bobby Joe was. Yeah. Um yeah. I mean, it's not an equal parallel to say that, but I do agree that she was just let, just as let down by everything and we'll get into all of that later on. So, anyways, either way, the defense went for an insanity plea, which is just straight up not a good idea in a capital case. Like a jury's not going to buy the the insanity plea most of the time. The defense also asserted that she had pseudosciasis. Sciasis. I looked up this and I still can't say it right. <laughs> but this is a mental condition that causes a woman to falsely believe she's pregnant and exhibit outward signs of pregnancy. So the scientific term of basically a hysterical pregnancy, which right. is when you convince like your body that you're pregnant. Right. Could you imagine if that was added to my long oh, list my of mental issues? God, no, I don't. <laughs> Me? even want to <laughs> even have like the <laughs> symptoms of that oh no. god <laughs> so i don't want to go through it myself like pseudo wise like or i'm reality. sure i'm like maybe if i met somebody in that it could be a conversation but is it something this point in time that i want no no not in the slightest <laughs> no so the defense attorneys were kind of forced into choosing this argument a week before trial because originally they were going to argue that Lisa's brother Tommy committed the murder. Oh my God. <laughs> but thankfully his alibi checked out. Unfortunately, this bit the defense in the ass because then her family refused to cooperate in her defense and instead took, the, took to the trial to tell their tales of her childhood and life thus far. To be honest, from what I can tell, her defense attorney was shitty. He really only visited her visited her like three times before the trial started. And then he isolated her from her family. Sounds Way like a go. man that was basically like, oh, she's guilty. Yeah. No fucking care. <laughs> Pretty much. He did have two different doctors that backed his defense, telling the jury that Lisa had the pseudosciasis as well as depression borderline personality disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. One of them testified that Lisa's stories about her actions fluctuate because of her delusional state and that she was unable to dictate the nature and quality of her acts. So I also want to go back and say that one of the reasons her defense attorney wanted to blame her brother is because whenever she was retelling her story to the cops, she kept saying she felt like somebody else was there. And that was because she was delusional and detached I mean, from yeah. reality. And the other person that was there was herself. But her defense attorney was like, let's blame the brother. Of course. Ain't it a man? <laughs> <laughs> of course, the federal prosecutor and opposing expert witnesses disagreed strongly with the diagnosis of pseudosciasis, arguing that Lisa knew exactly what she was doing when she murdered Bobby Joe and kidnapped baby Joe. I mean, I get, like, what they're saying because, I mean, she did look up all this stuff beforehand, but also, she sounds like she had, like, basically this state of, like, psychosis where it's, like, a blackout almost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, on October 22nd, 2007, the jury returned in less than five hours with a guilty verdict then a few days later returned recommending the death sentence. Judge Gary A. Finner formally sentenced Lisa Marie Montgomery to death on, on, October, on April 4th, 2008. 
Fast forward to March 19th, 2012, Lisa Marie has worked her way up to the U.S. Supreme Court in an attempt to overturn her conviction. The U.S. Supreme Court denied Lisa's petition, and during her appeals, Lisa's lawyers argued that she technically did not commit the crime of kidnapping resulting in death, claiming instead that the baby Joe was not a person until she was removed from her mother's womb, and since technically Bobby Joe died before the kidnapping, the crime was instead a death resulting in kidnapping and should be retried. I'm sure that that's makes a big a whole, difference. I was say that that's a whole debate for a different day. <laughs> it is because I mean, who? But also us knowing that the first lawyer did not really yeah. accurately represent the abuse. Even if he did, he did not do a great job of it. Then even if they could get this small technicality in there and get a retrial based on that, then the new lawyer could bring up all yeah. of the history and mental illnesses. But the whole like baby <sighs> like isn't alive until like like that that as we know in the times we're living, that's debatable depending on who you fucking listen to. Yep. Yes. That claim was dismissed with the court saying it didn't matter. Lisa needed to kill Bobby Joe regardless in order to complete the kidnapping. Because think about it. Bobby Joe knew Lisa from the dog shows. Yeah. They ran the same circles. So if Bobby Joe survived, she would have been able to identify Lisa Marie. Yeah. So regardless of what order it happened, Lisa knew she had to commit the murder. Yeah. Like I said, not saying Lisa's <laughs> a good person in any means, but also like... This is just one of those cases that proves to me that the death penalty is a very gray area. Yes. And that's what this all comes down to. So anyways, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. I promise. We'll get there. Experts who examined Lisa after conviction concluded by the time of her crime that she had long been living with psychosis, bipolar disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorders. You don't say. <laughs> they believe Aren't we all? They believe she was often dissociated from reality and had permanent brain damage from numerous beatings at the hands of her parents and spouses. Ugh. They actually did do, like, a brain scan of her, and she did have, like, some frontal lobe damage. And as we know, like, that does affect your personality. I would say frontal lobe has been looked at in multiple, like, cases, especially with serial killers, and they all have it. Mm -hmm. So then her lawyers argued the case of Atkins versus Virginia, which rules that executing individuals with intellectual disability violates the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution. If you're not familiar with the amendments, like I am not, the Eighth Amendment protects against imposing excessive bail, excessive fines, or cruel and unusual punishments. So what they're directly talking about here is that executing an, int an intellectually disabled person. That's, yeah. yeah. That is a cruel and unusual punishment. I mean, yeah. You have how many, like, you have, like, the Disabilities Act, which basically, basically is, like, your anti-discrimination in that. And that, we see that daily gain, like, abused in that. So, like, I can yeah. see where they're going with the, like, 
she's clearly not like mentally stable mm-hmm. and that so you trying to lead her to execution is basically saying eh she's a woman she can't handle this <laughs> so given this ruling one would expect that lisa was ineligible for a death sentence which is yeah pretty much what you were getting at yeah and i agree i think that she should have been punished yeah. And I think that she also needed a lot of help. And this, again, is why we say the death penalty is gray. Is fuzzy. a gray area it's because fuzzy. it's cases like these that we both say would have been fine if she just would have had like a life sentence. A life sentence, a proper attorney that yeah, fought like, for her the way that she deserved to be fought for. Do from I think the beginning? she deserved death? And also. Let me continue. You can can argue that, but like, in how I'm feeling, I don't think death penalty is the correct punishment. So, Lisa was scheduled for execution on December 8th, 2020 by lethal injection, but this was delayed because her attorneys caught COVID. So we are like in this prime time. Oh, we're in the COVID era. We're in the COVID era. What else happened in the COVID era? (laughs) With the end of Trump's presidency. (sighs) The 13 executions that he rushed through. Yes. His pardons and then his, oh, let's go ahead and hurry up and execute this person. Yeah. So, on December 23rd, Lisa was given her new execution date of January 12th, 2021. Merry Christmas, Lisa. You're getting executed in a couple of weeks. U.S. District Court Judge Randolph Moss then ruled that the new execution date, while the court stay was in effect, was not in accordance with law, prohibiting the rescheduling of the execution until January 1st, 2022. However, on January 1st, 2021, a three-judge panel on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia vacated Judge Moss's ruling, effectively reinstating her execution date of January 12th. On that date, Federal Judge Patrick Hanlon granted a stay of her execution on the grounds that her mental competence must first be tested, as it could be argued that she did not understand the grounds for her, her execution, per Eighth Amendment jargon. The stay was then vacated by the Supreme Court via a 6-3 vote, and the execution was ordered to be carried out immediately. On January 13, 2021, Lisa Montgomery, 52, was executed by lethal injection. She was one of the last three executions under Trump's presidency. There were two men that followed her. She was the first woman executed by the federal government since 1953, when Bonnie Brown Hetty was executed in the kidnapping and murder of Bobby Greenlease, the six-year-old son of a wealthy Kansas City car dealer. So I just thought that was kind of odd that it was both Kansas, both females, both kidnappings. Yeah. Kevin and Lisa remained married until her death. I was a little shocked at that. But when asked if she had any last words, Lisa replied no. Good for you, girl, because I would have been like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck my mom. There'd be a manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> they would be putting the needle in and I'd still be going. <laughs> it's 
quotes like let me get this off my chest hold on <laughs> reciting the pledge of allegiance and everything just just to keep it going my country tis of me. Oh my god. Y'all don't care for me. <laughs> Please leave me be. <clears throat> and then this part breaks my heart. In Lisa's final day, she kept a calendar with Joe Biden's inauguration date because Biden promised to enact a moratorium on capital punishment at the federal level as soon as he was in office so that makes me really sad because he like what inaugurations um like she was january 6th was the insurrection yeah and then like a week later i want to so it was like say, Janu- it was it was right around january the time. 13th or january like yeah. the day she was executed or like yeah it's like right there. So she was just, she was so she was close. So close. So close. So, like I said earlier, when I began this case, I thought I knew where I stood. And then I read this Rolling Stones interview with Lisa's second attorney. And, well, there are always two sides to each story. And here I am to play devil's advocate, my favorite game. Lisa Montgomery's history of abuse, trauma, and mental illness seemed to be a defining part of her life. How did it never play a role in her sentencing? Her lawyer's, her lawyer's response was, in her original trial, the government's experts actually described Lisa as being a willing participant in the rapes by her stepfather and his friends. That's the kind of misogyny that just ran through this case. I mean, talk about victim blaming. The prosecutor would have been the one to put Lisa on the stand as a victim if anyone ever actually prosecuted these people, right? And to turn around and say, well, nobody knows. She didn't tell anybody. Where are the records? Child rape happens in private. There are not witnesses. In 2016, when we discovered all of this and had our hearing, I'm thinking the government's supposed to be against human trafficking. And they just... The government's supposed to be against a lot of shit that they claim to be and then stuff gets brought up and they're like well no that, that's not what we meant and they just did not care she was a sex trafficking victim this is the outcome of what happens when you don't protect little girls this is why women do not disclose the interviewer says but she did disclose but why have we not heard about this but anyways but she did disclose Her cousin, David Kidwell Sr., a deputy sheriff, told you in a sworn statement that she confided in him as a teenager, telling him that her stepfather and his friends raped her, beat her, and urinated on her afterward. Why was that not a part of her trial? Lawyer's response, they never asked him. While we're doing our investigation for the hearing, we had a list of like 450 people, and he was on my list. My co-counsel said, Kelly, you haven't talked to Kidwell yet. And I said, yeah, but his testimony from the original trial was weak. He said that her mother, Judy, said that Lisa tried to steal her husband. He didn't have any good information. So when we interviewed him at a truck stop in Topeka, Kansas, my jaw dropped on the floor. I could not believe what he told us that Lisa had told him when she was 14 years old about these gang rapes. And he was on the witness stand. And in his declaration, he told me, It took me longer to take the oath than to give my testimony. I couldn't believe that they didn't ask me any of these questions. He thought they were going to ask, and he was ready to give that testimony. They just never asked him. I mean... Once again, ineffective counsel in the first trial. 
Also, with the, like, mother trying to say that she tried to steal her husband. Oh, my God. I will never understand somebody that can literally go through the birthing process, carrying, like, a child in that, and then you go and you blame your child for things. Like, ugh. I can, because it was a way different time back then. Like... She didn't have an option but to have her kid and raise them. And that's what was expected yeah. of them. It's still not normal for us to not have kids. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. I'm just saying, like, maybe it's, it's okay? the way, maybe it's the way, like, my family always was. Like, but not everybody is meant yeah. to be a parent is what I was getting at with that. Not everybody is meant to be a parent. And to me, it also seems like her mother was very much not mentally stable either. And, like, you tend to pass on things that you learn from your parents. So, you, I can only assume that maybe her mother was also beaten, like, the way she beats her daughter. Yeah. Maybe she would, you know, like, there are a lot of things that I can assume and there is nothing that I can prove because yeah. her mother has passed away. Interviewer, why didn't Lisa's lawyers learn about the abuse from her in the first trial. Lisa couldn't access that information. We had a really good relationship with our client and she did get so much better with us. Having that relationship with us, I think mattered a lot in her life. And for seven solid years, she had a meaningful life. She had a relationship with people and was able to be safe for the first time. But even with that relationship, she could not tell us about what happened. It was only when we talked to Kidwell that we knew and then we brought in our trauma expert to come with us to give her a safe space. And we did these grounding exercises together to help Lisa through this. I said to Lisa, we talked to your cousin David and he told us. And she said, I didn't lie to him. And then the next thing she said was, the worst part was my mom. And then just went into how her mother would traffic her. Question. Her lawyer's initial plan was to argue with her brother that her brother had committed the murder and given her the baby, but her brother had an alibi. How was the case misdirected so badly? The lawyer's response. Lisa had described feeling as if another person was with her. That was a symptom. She was describing something called depersonalization, a symptom of trauma, and you feel like you're outside of yourself. She was giving them a symptom, and they decided that the symptom was the truth, and then that was the mistake that they just kept making with Lisa. Tell me you don't understand mental health. Yes. And the last like question that I found important in this was in 2002, the Supreme Court determined in Atkins versus Virginia that it was a violation of the Eighth Amendment to execute a person that is mentally disabled and stated that intellectual disabilities would jeopardize the reliability and fairness of a death penalty trial. You presented MRI scans that showed Lisa Montgomery's brain damage and PET scans that showed brain dysfunction. Should that have protected her from the death penalty? And the lawyer's response is, she's not intellectually disabled. She does have brain damage, but she's not intellectually disabled. So Lisa did not check that box. So that's why. Yeah. But all of the concerns in the court in the Atkins case in 2002 are equally applicable to people who have a severe mental illness like Lisa. They talk about how they're less able to defend themselves and that jurors will misapprehend their effect. Lisa was doped up out of her mind in the trial because the CCA was treating her and they realized she was mentally ill. And mental illness doesn't disqualify you from facing the death penalty. 
It does not. There are many of us in the bar who are trying to push that argument to get the court to recognize that, and many legislators are now considering it. Ohio just passed a bill that the governor signed saying that people with severe mental illnesses are ineligible for execution, and they made it retroactive. And they defined it with certain specific disorders like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and post-traumatic stress disorder. I have a love-hate relationship with Ohio, like, I guess, um, authorities. Like, go you for kind of sticking up for mental health, but also you don't give a fuck about mental health. And you definitely don't give a fuck about, like, women. (laughs) Yeah. I do think that as a society, we are slowly moving towards caring more about mental health and understanding mental health as a whole. I know, like, when my mom was growing up in that era, it was unheard of to go to therapy. You really only went to therapy if you were crazy. I grew up with all of my aunts and grandmother, like, on my mom's side. They were all on antidepressants and anxiety medicine. So it was a little bit normal, more normalized in my family growing up. But then I would go to school and have other friends and, like, whatnot. And they just, it was not the normal. Um And I just think that that is very unfortunate for our society. I think that the, like, telltale of I go to therapy because my parents refuse to go to therapy is a very true statement. And until we all learn to, like, heal our our inside, our inner child and all that shit, like, this shit's just going to keep going. But thankfully... Like I said, I feel like we're finally heading in a direction where our society is prioritizing mental health more and more. Yeah. Like, yes, you do still have the ones that are just saying, like, we're being soft, that we, like, pr- like that we can't deal with things. And it's like, no. Like, there are legit people out there that the smallest things can basically make them feel like they are nothing. Me. <laughs> Me. I, my, my mental health definitely, like, fluctuates. And um, I cannot afford to go to therapy or see a psychiatrist or anything. I did try therapy for a few months last year. And uh, in my, like, few short months, my therapist narrowed it down to I either have ADHD and or bipolar. Um, bipolar definitely runs through my family. I've already been dep- like diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I have generalized depression, general depression, ger- generalized anxiety, seasonal depression. Like, your girl is not okay. But let's also talk about the fact that even like, yes, say you start going to therapy, like you decide you're going to start going. The process it takes to even find somebody that is the right therapist a lot of the times is a whole nother journey and people get discouraged in that and they're like this just this doesn't work for me i'll just keep doing what i've been doing and then they reach their breaking point and that's why we have the issues like that you're seeing in the news there but like when it comes out and they're like they had this mental like problem and that and it's like why didn't they seek help? They may have. 
my very first therapist, I saw her for like six months and I probably said a total of 10 sentences to her. And that's coming from Miss Chatalot. Like you just, it, it is hard finding the right fit, but it's so worth it when you do find the right fit. And all of this to say, prioritize your mental health. Take care of yourself. Yes. It, it's definitely something, like we said, it's moving in the right direction, but it it's going to take time. To go. Yeah, it's going to take time. So lastly, I want to finish this off with there is information out there about baby Joe. She is alive and well. I, however, did not care to indulge in any of that part of the articles or look into it because I feel like she's been through enough trauma for one lifetime and she just needs to be left the fuck alone. Yeah. So all we need to know. I feel for the husband because like you're probably so excited leading up to this pregnancy, like you and your wife going to get to like have your first child together you get your first experiences they and all like that and then yeah and then she is tragically taken from you your baby was missing then suddenly oh we found your baby here you go well now you're stuck being a single parent like you're also dealing with like the tragedy of losing your wife and like i get it, there's people that go through this like even like if like, say their, like, significant other wasn't brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. They just, like, died in childbirth, childbirth or stuff like that. Still. It's just, it's something that it's, like, I'm sure you try to be the best parent you can be, but it's also, like, not. It sucks that that's the hand that was dealt yes. to you. It really sucks that, like, two families were completely ruined from this. Yeah. From this one horrible day. But that is my case about Lisa Marie Montgomery. I hope you enjoyed it, and we will kick you off to the last call. Welcome to another last call. And for our first anniversary episode, I decided I would talk a little bit about anniversaries in general, as far as, like, what they say, like, the first anniversary gift is, which is the paper one. And people, like, have done, I mean, yeah, I think paper essentially is an everyday use. So, like, you have people that have been really creative with it and whatnot. But I will say the only anniversary that I've done an anniversary gift was the first anniversary. And what I did was I got a photo album. And on each, like, each page was a month. And the front would be an idea for a date inside the house. And the back was an idea for a date outside the house. And they were both envelopes. So it would have money like in them to go spend on the supplies or the movie or whatever for the inside date. And then like it would pay for the dinner or whatever outside. And that is the only. (laughs) (laughs) That is about as creative as she got. (laughs) No, I get creative. Yeah, like Nate and I just don't usually do gifts. Yeah. Uh, He really He's not a great gift giver, to be honest. No. You remember, like, three years ago? Yeah. (laughs) I gave him $100, and he literally, like, December 24th, walked around Walmart and just spent $100 on anything. So I got salt and pepper shakers, (laughs) a kitchen towel, (laughs) a blanket. It's usually, like, 
kitchen. She likes kitchen stuff. He got me a blanket, even though he always yells at me for having too many blankets. I think he got he got me a coffee mug, even though I have too many cups too. He yells at me about that. Like literally everything. I was like, oh, so you 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 went to Walmart. <laughs> I've been staring at this stuff for for weeks now. <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> God bless him. Uh, he did a little better last year. I'll give him that. Yeah. Oh, but yes, the first anniversary is the known as the paper anniversary. Um, so it's probably the most famous anniversary theme, and it chronicles the first of many like years of marriage, usually. Um, like paper, a young marriage is delicate and fragile, but if you handle it with love and care, it will last a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like I said, most people have done, like, some really creative things and whatnot. This this first anniversary of the podcast snuck up, and as we're recording this, like, technically, we're... we're a few weeks away from it but um <laughs> i have not thought about any sort of like podcast anniversary gift <laughs> but maybe we can think of something i don't know we'll let you know it probably won't happen because both of us have have no monies <laughs> our anniversary gift is a high five <laughs> there you go it's free um this one article I found says first anniversary gifts. So traditional is paper. Modern, they say, is a clock, which I'd be pissed if someone got me a clock, unless it was one I really wanted. My mother in law got me a Beauty and the Beast clock. I mean, yeah, I would like that, but like. It does not work, but I have one. <laughs> Gemstone gifts says gold. I don't wear a lot of gold. I'm coming off like a really bougie bitch. <laughs> She can be I don't wear a lot of gold. Like, I like it as, like, accents. But, like, am I going to wear just, like, a gold, like, necklace? No. But it's also, like, a skin complexion thing. So, yeah. So, like, silver does tend to look better on your skin tone. I can usually pull off silver or gold. So, I'm not, I don't really give yeah. I don't care. Uh, my ears are extra sensitive. And they used to require 24 karat gold. But... I outgrew that. My ears are super sensitive and pretty much I can wear like the the like surgical steel like style like uh jewelry the stuff that our piercer uh uses I've never reacted to but like it's why I think that's why also I don't wear a lot of jewelry just cuz my body does not like cheaper jewelry. But, like I said, I, I can't afford more expensive stuff, so I just don't wear it. Yeah. Um, and then the flower gift for, like, the first anniversary is carnations, which, if you know, carnations, like, I feel like that's a cop-out for, like, a first gift because carnations don't have a scent, and they're... By far, probably the cheapest flower you can buy. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that also stands out because you gotta think. Usually, your first year of marriage, it's you a broke. it's a struggle. You're like kind of still getting to know each other. You might have lived together before, but like 
now you're married, so it's not like you can just run away if something goes wrong. And then, yeah, it's the whole, like, you usually don't have a lot of money. You just spent how much on a wedding. And then you got, like, bills and everything. So, yeah. I can understand it, but also I feel like it's a cop-out. <laughs> um, and then the next little anniversary, like, I guess, fun fact I found is kind of like a thing saying, like, it goes, so, in popular folklore, there is a rhyme for whatever month you were married. So, if you don't know, Sloan was married in October. <laughs> Give me my rhyme. Your rhyme is, if in October you do marry, love will come but riches tarry. I was like, that kind of fits you <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. I was like, that kind of fits you and Nate. I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do we need a divorce in another month? I was like, Nate would be so distraught. <laughs> Nate's the emotional one, okay? He really is. <laughs> so I'll watch. I'll be watching a chick flick, and he'll come in and passing, and end up sitting down, and then I look over, and there's a tear. <laughs> Sliding down his cheek. And meanwhile, I'm like, this is cheesy, but I wanted background noise, and that's right. what I got. So, I guess if you go for our podcast anniversary of December, when, Decem when December's snows fall fast, marry your love will last. Aww. Our podcast will last. <laughs> so, I'm sure there's other anniversary dates that people are probably looking for so january says marry when the year is new he'll be loving kind and true february says when february birds do mate your wed nor dread what you wed nor dread your fate so i guess like Basically, good like, good luck. <laughs> uh, May the odds be ever in your favor. Right. March, if you wed when March winds blow, joy and sorrow, both you'll know. So far, uh, beginning of the year is not the time to get married, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's not looking good for you. It's all a trap. <laughs> <clears throat> April marriages. Marry in April if you can. Joy for maiden and for man. Mays says, Marry in the month of May. You will surely rule the day. June is, Marry when June roses grow and over land and sea you'll go. So I need to marry in June so that I can travel. Okay. Heard. I guess I need to find somebody first, but <laughs> we're going for June and that is not fun in Alabama. So we will be going elsewhere to get married. Um, <laughs> A destination wedding. Or we'll just be wearing swimsuits getting married in the ocean. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, July. Those who in July do wed must labor for their daily bread. Never getting married in July. 
you're telling me I'm gonna have to work forever <laughs> just to make just to make ends meet. No. No, thank mm -mm. you. August. Whoever wed in August be many and change is sure to see. Sure. Okay. September. So this is right? No, no. November. November is when they, when Nick got married. So yeah. All right. We're a few months. We're we're almost there. I gotta see what holds for Nick and his new wife. And I guess Savannah and Dwayne. <laughs> All right. So September. Mary in September shines so that your life is rich and fine. Okay. Now November, which we both know two people that got married in November. So let's let's see. If you wed in bleak November, only joys will come. Remember. Okay. Not bad. And then we did October and December. So yeah. There's that. Sorry if you don't like your uh, little rhyme. I didn't make these. That's what this article <laughs> said. So if it wasn't what you were hoping for, so sorry. Not <laughs> um, a little little fact that they put in this little article that I found says in Commonwealth. Uh, well, in the Commonwealth. So like this is talking about Europe. A couple can request a greeting in, in writing from the British monarch to celebrate their 60th, 65th, and 70th wedding anniversary. If it was Queen Elizabeth, maybe I would have done it. <laughs> Charles? No. Nah. Nah. Uh, another little fact going along the lines of like getting basically something special the faithful roman catholic can ask their local bishop to send a request to the pope for blessed thanks for the wedding anniversary and this can be done on the 25th 50th 60th and of like your wedding anniversary i feel like that's a big jump between the 25th and the 50th <laughs> they're like Hey, if you make it to the 25th, that's great. You probably <laughs> won't make it to the next two. <laughs> so we're not going to bombard the the Pope all this time. <laughs> like, He's an important man. Right? I'll have to be like, oh, my parents aren't Roman Catholic. They're just Catholic. I'll be like, Mom, you didn't request for the Pope to send you a, a blessed thanks. <laughs> Need to get on that, Mom. You guys are past your 25th. Come on. <laughs> do. Uh, but those are the little, like, I guess, fun little things I found for anniversaries. Obviously, you can look up and find the whole, like, anniversary, like, traditional gift list thing for what they say. I know the... I want to say they have, it's a pretty extensive list. I don't know how far it technically goes, but I know it goes for quite a few that they say as far as like what your like anniversary theme is based on the like years you've been married. Some people do try to follow it and some people just go with whatever they decide. I mean, you do you. 
It's your marriage. Don't let people dictate what you should do. You do what makes you and your spouse happy. Marriages are only as conventional as you are. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, everybody's marriage is different. Don't try to be a cookie cutter marriage. It's probably not going to work out for you. Nobody is cookie cutter. What works for one person is not going to work for the next. Like, there are people that look at Sloan and Nate's marriage and go, how? And I'm like, it works for them. I'm, like, very independent. And I'm an extroverted introvert. So I like to go out and do things. He likes to go out on his computer and do things. (laughs) I was talking to, like, one of our bar regulars about this the other day. And I was like, Nate and Sloan... I was like, they work, but it's just funny because, like, Nate would love to just go, ho- like, work and then go home and just be on his computer in that, like, perfect day form. I was like, Sloan, well, like, if she works, she would, like, if she worked a morning shift and she had the night off, I was like, she'd either love to just be at home or she wants to go out and do something. I was like, but if, like, nobody's there to do something with, she's like, all right, Nate, pack up. We're going. <laughs> and he's just like, fine. She's like, we're going. I really do. I really, really do. It's I was like, that- but for the most part, she just lets him be. And then, it's like, not that he's my goes last- out on her own. It's not that he's my last resort to hang out with. It's that he doesn't like to go out and do things. So. I was like, Nate leaves the house to do things when Sloan says, we're going. <laughs> or to work. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty And then it. he does he does go out sometimes with, like, some people from work. It's it's not often, but he has done it. Yeah. it's It was before COVID, COVID usually. Yeah. Because he does, like, have an autoimmune disorder, so we kind of take that seriously around here. I know COVID is quote-unquote over, but it's not in our household. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, people <clears throat> have always thought that our relationship is odd, but also, like, we met at work, so the people that we worked with, like, knew our vibes and <laughs> got it. Like, I would go out to Applebee's after work. He would go home and then come pick me up from Applebee's where I was hanging out with the girls, like, it just, it is what it is. So don't base your relationship off of anybody else's. You if find you're what happy, works for you and you go with it, okay? If you're happy, that's all that matters. Don't let people tell you that what you're doing is wrong. Like, obviously, Amen. if you're cheating on somebody and they don't know, that's not the right way to go about this. But, like, if, Correct. if like, I don't know, for, in, like, say... If I want to go get a girlfriend and yeah. my husband says, hey, that's okay, then guess what? Then that's, that's fine. Okay. Don't let people tell you it's wrong. If I want to go get a boyfriend and my husband says, that's okay, hey, guess what? That's okay. If I want to go get a boyfriend and he says, that's not okay, and I go get a boyfriend, then that's, that's not, not okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's where the difference is. So, anyways, live your life. Be happy. You do you, boo. That's my favorite thing to say. You do you, boo. And... We're going to conclude this anniversary episode. Once again, thank you for hanging out with us for a year and helping us make our dreams come true. This is truly a highlight of our week, getting together on Mondays, having a blast, talking to each other, telling the stories. You get what we're saying. (laughs) It's not fun to talk about the crimes, but it's fun to be together and have a great time. So you can catch us on our social medias. They are caught up. 
Whoop, whoop. They are caught up. So you can find us on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, they only Instagram. Took a year. Hey, sometimes you just gotta get in a good swing of things. Good things take time and practice and patience. And I have no patience, but I got a lot of time and a lot of practice. So check us out. You can find on our Instagram specifically, you can find the case pictures as well as the recipe. Like we have recipe cards for the drinks and reels. We have the TikToks of the drinks. You can find Twitter. It has the links to all of the episodes where you can listen to them, all that stuff. If you can think of anything that I need to be doing differently on the social medias, like especially Twitter, because I don't have no fucking clue about that shit. It's all right. Twitter might be crashing soon anyway, so. <laughs> I wish I would have paid $8 to get the blue check mark while we I mean, have. damn. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Anyways, they are all tequila she wrote without the blue check mark on all of them. You can also email us. In at, time. In time. It's fine. You can email us at tequila she wrote at gmail.com. With any case suggestions, drink recipes, anything like that. It is Christmas season, so we're looking for some Christmas cocktails, Christmas liquors, beers, wines. Let us know. We'll see what comes up. Um, we also have our Patreon set up. It is caught up as of now. We're always recording and adding stuff, so it just it just depends on what all we have and how much time I have in the week to get to it. But as of now, it is caught up. You can find us there for as little as $2 a month. You'll get ad-free episodes. And easiest way to find us is by going to patreon.com and doing backslash tequila she wrote. should bring you directly there. If it doesn't and you don't want to reach out to us for any reason go to our socials find our link tree and then you can click on patreon and it should link you directly to our patreon page if that's not working reach out to us we will try to get you there as best as we can and again if there is something that you know, maybe you're listening to other podcasts on for bonus stuff that you think maybe we should be a part of. Let us know. We'll look into it. We'll see if it's something that we can do and if it's something that we think is feasible for us. And yeah, I guess with that being said. Thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep. Beep beep.